Do you join me in prayer? God, thank you for being you. Thank you that we can have many people here virtually when being physically here is not an option. Thank you that you brought so many people here safe and ready to hear about a really good model of what relationship with you looks like. Please help us keep our attention on you and let my voice be a vessel for you to share your truth and love. Thank you for this opportunity for all of us to gather here in your name. We love you. Amen. So hi, I'm Emma, and from the, more, the moment I was born, I've been riding through life in second place. You can probably hear my mom now whispering to whoever she's sitting next to you that, that's not true. But in a way, it is. I was the second born. My brother won first place to giving my parents children, and I came out five and a half years later, tagging along to whatever life had in store for me. One of the things I was born into was loving movies. And something we did whenever we loved a movie in theaters is we would go back and see it again. For one movie, we went back to the theater multiple times. I remember clear as day, I was eight years old, and my family kept returning to the Northgate Mall movie theater to see Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. <laughs> Some of you have no idea what that movie is, some are shocked that I was enjoying that movie at eight years old, and some are jealous that I got to see it in theaters so many times. But at the beginning of the movie, Ricky Bobby is just a child, and he's graced with his father's presence who loves driving fast. And his father tells him, if you ain't first, you last. In the instance of my parents' children, this is true. My brother was first, I was second, and the last. In terms of other stuff, I knew that was silly. You're not last if you're not first. Like I said later on in the movie, there's second, there's third. Somehow though, I think a lot of us subconsciously believe in extremes like that. We have to be first or it isn't worth it. It's first or we failed. The mentality did not pass over me. I've always strived to be first, but I found myself in second places more times than not. I was the second chair in band. I was the runner-up for Saudi Daisy High School homecoming queen. And can you believe that even a month ago, I won a round of bingo, so I got to place my name in a raffle. And there was only one other person's name in this specific raffle, and I still didn't win. <laughs> second place, but more important to me, was that I did not come up first. Always so close, but never actually there. It's infuriating and devastating to not be number one. So I just knew when reading Elizabeth's story that she was gonna be ready to take her earrings out and get into a pregnant woman fistfight when the Holy Spirit came upon her and revealed to her that Mary was miraculously pregnant. Elizabeth had just risen from disgrace now and her little young thing cousin had to one up her by also being miraculously pregnant. I mean, to me, getting in a fight would be the natural reaction. But as you just heard from the Gospel of Luke, she didn't react that way. Why did she not react that way? Elizabeth was a woman who was truly good as well as was truly dealt a bad hand for the sake of her social and familial image. If we back up a little bit to the beginning of Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, we learn that Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah were pretty well off. They both came from holy backgrounds. He was a priest, and she came from the lineage of Aaron, who, if you know, don't know, is a pretty big deal in the Old Testament. So they should be set on being the church social elite, right? Wrong. They have this problem where they can't get pregnant. 
And my favorite part about their story are verses 6 and 7, which reads, And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. What? You know, different time, different way of addressing sensitive issues, but I think saying that one of the parents couldn't conceive or even just that they were old would have sufficed, but no, it just had to be said that Elizabeth's body was the problem. So when I say that she was disgraced, she really was. It was known that her body could not provide, and back then they associated barrenness with sinfulness. In that time, no offspring meant no social status because if you assumed you weren't they, it was assumed you weren't actually who you presented yourself to be. So she had every reason to be infuriated and devastated for her status, for her family, and I would think even at God. But the scripture is clear in the two verses I just shared. Even with this hardship, Elizabeth was righteous before God, and the assumptions that she caused this to happen to herself through sin were wrong. She walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. So I want to point something out real quick about that. Elizabeth was barren before Christ came along. And you're thinking, yeah, obviously, Emma, the scripture lesson today is literally about Mary and Elizabeth miraculously being pregnant, one with John the Baptist, the other with our Lord and Savior. But listen, the new covenant had not been established yet. Do you realize how much there was to follow in God's commandments and statutes before Christ? A lot, like a lot, a lot. We still hold many of those commandments and statutes high, but a lot were refocused and reimagined to be more intimate when Jesus was asked, what is the most important commandment? He responds by saying that the most important is to love God with all you are. The second was to love your neighbor as yourself and everything else hangs on those two. It's easier to keep two commandments in mind than hundreds that Elizabeth somehow followed blamelessly. If it were me, the scripture would probably read, and she was grumbling and agitated before God, walking the best she could in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But not for Elizabeth. She was righteous and blameless. She was really good. So good that she didn't try to fist fight Mary. And she didn't feel jealousy, nor did she compare her baby to Mary's baby. She was just happy. Earrings stayed put. The only physical contact was probably a hug. And if there were tears, they were of joy. Once disgraced, Elizabeth was now redeemed through two baby boys. Her first reaction was not, she gets to birth the Savior and I just get to birth the prophet. Her first reaction is joy in Christ. Her reaction is not a coincidence or random. Her faith had been cultivated and shaped so that her routine became habit. By pursuing God day in and day out, Elizabeth reoriented her mind to not see how others' blessings impacted her, but how this impacted the kingdom of God. Her Jewish understanding of how we should be connected to God and community was not fashioned that much differently than ours. Our version of remembering the most two important commandments actually could be found in a previous Jewish form that too connected to the rest of God's laws. Though in Elizabeth's case, were hundreds of laws. Central to Jewish faith was the Shema. The Shema comes from Deuteronomy. It reminds us of our task to love God and spread the love and knowledge of our God. Kind of sounds familiar, maybe like the Great Commission, but okay, let's keep going. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says, 
Hear, Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart, and you shall repeat them diligently to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. You shall also tie them as a sign to your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall also write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The reminder of God being Lord would have been everywhere for Elizabeth. She leaned into those reminders and let God, rather than her own desires, absorb her. She chose to continuously choose the reminders and practice spiritual habits that reiterated God's love for her, even when her disgrace did not make sense. If she hadn't <clears throat> Ooh, excuse me. If she had not been steadfast in her commitment to God, she could have thought that she once again came up as a failure or discounted her role as second place holy mother in Judea, idolizing Mary's position as first. But ranking of motherhood did not even surface in her mind. She did not feel a lump in her throat to physically represent any emotion of frustration, jealousy, or mourning of being the only special one. Rather, she felt her baby, the forerunner of Christ, leap within her in celebration and worship of their God who was soon to become flesh on earth. Her dedication to her baby and to the God who gave her this miraculous baby boy made her number one for the task. Number one was to redefine when Elizabeth stuck to the commandments and statutes and crafted her very being for the will of God. She had her eye on the prize the whole time. It was God. <clears throat> anything coming from that made her number one because anything that comes from God is good and holy. There's no need to compare when God's will is at play. And I will be the first to admit that saying there's no need to compare or God's timing is perfect is extremely difficult to believe at times. I'd be doing a disservice to y'all by saying that it's easy to be content during the moments when God's plan doesn't make sense at all. I especially have no business telling someone like Elizabeth, pre-miraculous pregnancy, that God will show up for her like he did with Sarah, Rebecca, and Hannah when they were barren. I can't tell someone that it's all going to work out the way they want as long as they follow God's will as closely as Elizabeth did, but I can tell everyone confidently that God is there in every moment. God was there for Elizabeth when she was a disgraced barren woman a pregnant wife whose husband could not speak. Yeah, that happened. And a mother of the prophet going ahead of God's own son. And God is there for us too in our low points, our struggling points, and our successful points. The following fall, after I did not win homecoming queen, but came in second place as runner-up, I began my college education at Lee University. I had a rocky start getting acquainted with college, but I figured I just had to figure out what my knack would be and I'd be good. So at Lee, whenever, or at least when I was there, the dorms offered weekly small groups on each floor. And I went to Lee because I knew I wanted to do something in ministry. I wasn't sure yet. I didn't know I wanted to do pastoral ministry, but I was like, I'm doing something. So I was like, oh, this is an easy way for me to find my place. I'll be a small group leader. And it just all makes sense because I want to be in ministry. Easy choice. So I went to the first of three rounds of interviews to become a floor small group leader. 
the first being a group interview, and oh, I just did so well. I just knew I hit it out of the park because my entire essence just radiated that I was destined to be in ministry. I had nothing to worry about, even though there were three applicants on my floor and only two spots. Besides, how can anyone really form an opinion about someone from a group interview? Well, apparently you can, because I was rejected after the first round. I was aghast because, sheesh, I would have at least been fine with being second place for this opportunity because I would have still won. But for real this time, I was in last place. I lost. I knew then, and I'm still confident now, that I did interact well in the group interview and that I did not do anything necessarily wrong. But luckily, these interviewers conducted every aspect of the application process prayerfully. Turns out that there was no way I would have thrived out as a small group, leader, small group leader that year. I really found out who I was as a person and who I am as a child of God that first year of college. I also lost three of my grandparents almost within exactly a year, and I can't imagine if I were in a leadership position during that season of loss and change. I can't tell anyone based off of the story of Elizabeth or my own life that God is gonna pull through and bless us with what we always wanted. But I can say that God is in every moment preparing our own personalized blessing. The last verse of our passage this week again reads, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So how do we become her? Where do we begin to get to a place so full of trust and joy coming from the Lord? I took away from Elizabeth's story three tasks for us to hold ourselves accountable to doing. The first is to submerge ourselves in God's word, not social expectations. Even though Elizabeth knew that she was, being a dis or she was a disgraced woman, she nevertheless was described at the beginning of the chapter as righteous before God and walked blamelessly in the commandments. To know the character of God and to know what is righteous and commanded, you have to know the word of God. Elizabeth knew who God was, what God was capable of, and what God has promised for creation. The second is to anticipate the birth of our Savior with joy. Elizabeth knew the word of God, so she knew that Christ would be coming, she just didn't know when. She understood how substantial her role, Mary's role, and the fully human yet fully divine life that would be coming from her cousin would be to the entire community of God's people. It was not about being joyful for her family member's new addition. She was rejoicing that all of creation's Savior was coming to redeem us all. We too can join in that anticipation of Christ's birth right now as we are journeying through Advent. This anticipation can remind us of how God has shown up for us and how God is continuing to move in our lives, even when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The third is to celebrate others' wins as much as we would celebrate our own blessings given to us by God. That means we can no longer accept, if you ain't first, you're last. I really did not like writing this part because it is so, 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 so hard not to compare myself to others. It's extremely difficult. But Elizabeth's story and how it impacts the birth of our Savior, meaning that it would have turned out differently if she really did choose to fight Mary instead of having a physical reaction of joy occur within her, makes it kind of hard not to choose Christ over comparison. But in all seriousness, this challenge of choosing to celebrate all blessings was modeled beautifully by Elizabeth. 
I found every reason for her to compare herself, but she only needed one reason not to, God. Elizabeth chose God over and over and over again, and God continued to show up and show out, just like God continues to show up and show out for every single one of us with personalized blessings. Who are we to scorn others for living into the blessings God gave? Elizabeth shows us who we can be when we ignore the desire to compare and rate ourselves based on social standards. She is one of the greatest women and leads us directly to Christ, like Rahab and Ruth did in the first two weeks of this series. So WDED, what did Elizabeth do? She submerged herself in the word of God, anticipated the birth of our Savior with joy, and celebrated all of God's blessings. May her example lead us to do the same during this Advent season and connect deeper with our Savior and each other.